rise and shine. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to Good Morning Aurora. News, weather, and really cool interviews. Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 a.m. <laughs> Ma, my friends are watching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, good morning, Aurora. Good morning, Aurora. Good morning, Aurora. The time is 8.02 a.m. You are listening to and watching Good Morning, Aurora, the second largest city's first daily news podcast. It's Friday, the 21st of October. First of all, we made it through a, a week, tough week, hard week, difficult week, but for some, I hope it was a prosperous and a productive week nonetheless. We had a heck of a week. Um, last night, you will notice that we were once again with our partners of Kane County Government um, doing another discussion with them. This was about um, domestic violence, going from victims to offenders and how we can interrupt that cycle. And it's also Domestic Violence Awareness Month, which I did not know was started in 1987. I did not know that until I read um, uh, read up on it to prepare for yesterday's uh, debate. So please watch that. It was really good. And if you or anyone you know can benefit from any of the information, please reach out to the Kane County government. The website is embedded in yesterday's episode. Uh, but today's a brand new day, and I have some great guests here today. We have pastors to talk about the um, pre, or excuse me, pre-arrested version. See that? I'm still thinking, I'm still thinking in the past. <laughs> Curtis notes, Pre-Trial Fairness Act. Uh, which will be rolling out January 1st. Today's guests are Mr. Eric Dorsey, Director of Community Freedom, correct? Correct. Uh, Pastor, Pastor Fish, St. Mark's Aurora, and Pastor John Bell, Wesley United. How you guys doing? Very good. Thanks Fantastic. for us. How's the coffee? Delicious. All right. And local. That's right. <laughs> Tread well. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're going to discuss pretrial fairness, and this is going to be open to you know, all of you guys to come in and, and speak accordingly. I do want to plant the flag in the conversation as we talked about. This will be from the faith perspective. So everything that we will be sharing today will be from that. We are not going to mix any uh, any type of politics in it in any way, shape, or form. Um, so I'm happy to have you guys here. Uh, I know Pastor Bell and Fish. Good to meet you, Mr. Dorsey, today. Um, so first things first. What is the Pretrial Fairness Act, and why should people be on the lookout for it? Yeah, well, the Pretrial Fairness Act started uh, with a group of uh, really stakeholders across the state in 2016 as an effort to address the problems with money bond. Uh, and out of that grew a coalition now. It's called the Coalition to End Money Bond. Uh, and so they've been working for several years uh, to draft legislation that would address uh, the problem with money bond and we can talk about what the problem with money bond is uh, and that culminated with a lot of uh, community stakeholders across the state participating and drafting that legislation uh, i think the um, the killing of george floyd i think was a, a major impetus to get some legislation in the books uh, to really address the problem that we were having that we continue to have uh, and then this past year the state uh, legislature uh, passed 
the Safety Act, and then as a part of that Safety Act is the Pretrial Fairness Act. And, and the Pretrial Fairness Act is something that we've, we've been very involved with and faith community has been involved with. Right. Uh, I think it's important to know that the coalition has been working with law enforcement. So again, when this was written, that will take effect in, in January 1, I think there's misinformation that that was just done like in a you know vacuum, um, but it was. It was done with community stakeholders, people on the ground, and important um, folks that this would impact um, with the idea of racial equity at, at, at hand. Uh, understanding that there's a disproportionate amount of black and brown people in jail. And so how do we uh, recognize that and uh, make amends to uh, bring about uh, restorative justice to our criminal justice system? Uh, and so uh, 2016 and beyond, I mean, this has been conversation and community leaders meeting about this. And um, and again, because it's such a hot topic is because it's an election year, right? right. It's midterms and that's why um, we hear all the misinformation and we hear the purging of this uh, pre-trial uh, trial era fairness act. We hear uh, misinformation about how January 1, everyone's gonna be dangerous, let go. I mean, all this is, is, is meant to draw emotion uh, and, it's, and it's not based in really what the act or the ending of cash bail is about. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's, 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 it's sad and it's demeaning too, because mm -hmm. like if, if you guys are familiar with it, but you know, and even the, as I've been following along, law enforcement was abreast of the procedure yes. the entire, since its inception. Correct. Since being thought about. Correct. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's just unreal that something so big that would be such a big change to the state could happen mm -hmm. with no law enforcement right. and put a perspective in it. So um, that, that is important to note. Now the the Safety Act. Let's kind of let's kind of nutshell that for people. It'll change many things, such as ending money bond. Correct. Um, what are some of the other things for those who may not know that will be changing due, uh, when the Safety Act is passed? Yeah, I take that first. Well, I'll start off. I mean, um, I've read again. I'm, I don't pretend to be a policy expert, so I want to give that disclosure. You um, look like one, man. I was like, <laughs> <say, laughs> you look good. State <laughs> slept at a Holiday Inn last night. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I will say that there are a lot of things, and I think I could speak generally for everybody <laughs> that has an opinion about the Safety Act. It's not a perfect bill. I mean, there are things in it that I look at it and, and say, well, I don't know if I agree with that line item or that particular thing. Um, but in general, I think it's a step in, in the right direction. Um, I think there are some line items in there that has to do with um, governing or overseeing the actions of police in the field, which I think becomes a little tricky right. when you start to uh, look over the shoulder of the, the law enforcement officers that are in the community in the field and kind of governing split-second decisions that they have to make in moments can be kind of tricky. Um, and when you start over-legislating um, split-second decisions or human reactions to situations, that, that's where it gets really difficult. Um, but I would say overall, it's a step in the right direction. It, it removes a lot of barriers um, that cause issues in communities and families economically. Um, socioeconomically, uh, and then as you know, Pat said, 
just a lot of the issues that our old system had with targeting or impacting marginalized community, black and brown communities, uh, many of those barriers will be lifted. And I think that's what we need to look at. Right. Um, and I do think that, uh, as you said, it's the fact that it would make changes to the way some police departments operate is probably the, the, the primary reason why there is consternation about it, why there is pushback uh, towards right. it. But it's about educating people, too, though, right. because, um, you know, we, we the everybody can agree for the need for effective policing. That is a that's a must. Um, but. Doing it in the in a professional way where people are not marginalized and singled out is just as much of that public must. safety issue. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's it, the safety act. The the the, the myth is, is that it's going to make our neighborhoods less safe. Right. That's not true. That's right. Not true. That that this was all created for public safety, and um, there are stats that show. I mean, again, but um, this is all based in research, right? This this ending cash bail, um, as well as the safety act, um, and had police officers at the table. Um, again, and it's all about community safety. And so right. this myth that this is going to make us less safe by passing this is, is just not true. Right. Um, like, like Eric is saying, we could disagree with some of the nuances, right. uh, but this, th this is where coming back to the table uh, and, and we're a part of those conversations um, and we'll continue to be and work with law enforcement uh, to make our communities safe, but also represent the communities that have been neglected or mistreated. Right. Um, and so that's where we're trying to, from a faith perspective, always bring those folks to the forefront um, and, and stop saying that they don't matter because they do. Right. Um, yeah. um, I will, I'll say this, it, it does make me, so when, when Pastor Fish reached out, um, or excuse me, Pastor Bell reached out and talked about, you know, and asked about doing this, like I immediately said, yeah, and it made me happy because I, really appreciate people in the faith community taking this issue or these types of issues and being a part of the discussion. Mm -hmm. I think that for a lot of people, if they've been impacted by the system, the you know, turning to your faith has been a help. Mm -hmm. But wow, how much more of a help and how much more effective is it to have your faith leader be a part of the discussion? Because the discussion is still ongoing, yes. and people who've been impacted, you know, you don't, for a lot of them, it, the, the change or the healing doesn't happen overnight. So I, I do like the fact yeah, that you guys are actually hand-in-hand hand with it. Yeah. Um, do, you to, do you want to talk about kind of your experience? 12, yeah, yeah okay. I, I would say we, in my opinion, faith leaders should be. Because the one thing about looking at issues like this strictly from a political lens is that you're dealing with policies and stats and figures and agendas Whereas as faith leaders, we're primarily, or we should be, focused on people right. and the impact on people. Right. And so many of our, most of our legislation um, is intended, it doesn't always work out like this, but it's intended to reflect what's in the best interest of the community, of the people. But we know that it doesn't always work like that. No. And so I think that our voice is important because if you really care about people, if you care about what's in the best interest of people, healing people, giving people opportunities, believing in the potential of the human spirit. That's what faith leaders are. And so sometimes laws are written with a certain expectation or a certain um, you know, thought that this would be the outcome. And if that outcome doesn't come and we see that people are being harmed by it, correct? it's our responsibility to speak up on behalf of people that don't have a voice, whose voices cannot be heard. And so I think we're an important voice, not 
just because, not from a religious perspective, but speaking on behalf of individuals, people that are made in God's image that we're called to, to represent in discussions like this. I'm curious, is this, is, is what you gentlemen are doing, is this new in the faith community? Like taking that forward kind of action? Well, I mean, if you look at like just Aurora, so Hesed House was started by a coalition yep. of congregations. Mm -hmm. The Interfaith Food Pantry, you know, was started by a coalition of interfaith uh, communities. So, you know, when we talk about the faith community, the faith community historically has always been at the forefront of leading communities in addressing the needs of people, right? right. And that comes from our uh, faith, it comes from our teachings, it comes from our, our holy, uh, from our scriptures, from our sacred texts, from the Bible, you know, that, and, and a lot of other faith communities as well are driven in the same way uh, and participate in this. And so the problem that we're having now is, um, and this is what I talk about it with, with the faith community that I'm at at, at Wesley is, Look, we volunteer our time, uh, our money into ending homelessness, to, uh, to providing housing uh, for people, and to make sure that people have got food on their table, uh, be, and, and realizing that there are these systemic issues that are just cycling people back into these programs over and over and over again, and they're not able to get out of poverty. Nice. And <clears throat> the Pretrial Fairness Act is one of those pieces of the system that continues to put people back into poverty. And so if we're, you know, I had uh, someone once say to me that, you know, when you're uh, standing at a river bank and all of a sudden all these people are coming down that need to be pulled out, right? You start rescuing them and you pulling them out of the river and all these people you keep pulling. And then at some point you, you think, well, who's throwing all these people into the yeah, river, right? right? Yeah. And so you, you've got to get ahead of it a little bit and say, you know, why are people having such a difficult time? And so I think faith communities are beginning to realize, and, and some have for a long time, that you've got to address some of these uh, systemic problems that are going on. Absolutely. And so that's why it's natural for us and for faith communities to be involved with this, because it continues to work at the issues that historically we've always been working on. I'm glad you uh, brought that and made that point too about interfaith food pantry. All of the pieces that have already been in Aurora and their actual faith roots. Mm -hmm. I mean, so the work has been being done. Absolutely. Uh, the time is eight sixteen. Annie Fish, good morning to you. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I do know that person. Josue <laughs> Pais, good morning. Saul Olivas, good morning. Norma Peterson, William Miller the third, good morning to you. And Katrina Bow, good morning. Our dear friend Joe Jackson is here. He says good morning. And yes, that's one of the many amazing members of the Fish family. Um, so glad we're talking about this. Got to counter the fear mongering. The Safety Act will improve public safety, save taxpayer money, reduce jail populations to keep people in their communities where they belong instead of a cage. David Lloyd, thank you very much for your uh, for your comment. The time is 8.17 a.m. So let's talk about the uh, pretrial fairness town hall taking place Sunday, October 21st at uh, Society 57. All right. Um, what's going to be happening that day? Yeah. So as Eric said, um, we are not policy experts by any stretch of the imagination. Um, we are trying to create a platform for education and awareness um, because we recognize 
um, that people have questions. Uh, I have members of my own congregations, I'm sure you guys do too, that have that fall anywhere on, on this. And so um, rather than telling them this is what you should believe, again, I want people to critically think for themselves, uh, but to have the information that's, that's actually based in fact. Um, and so we are uh, organizing this town hall for that reason. Uh, anybody can come. You don't have to be a member of our faith communities. Actually, it's for the community. Um, but we will have uh, speakers, um, and, and I'll have John, I, I know you have that out, uh, share with you in a little bit of who's going to speak. Uh, but we have various people that um, represent within the community um, that can share what the law is um, and how it's going to bring safety. Um, I like the comment, how it's going to keep people in our communities. Mm -hmm. um, and again, uh, what this means for us come January 1. Um, and so you'll hear from um, at least smarter people than myself, uh, but definitely, um, again, get more information about uh, the Pre-Trial Fairness Act. Um, and then that's really what we're about is creating a space for discussion uh, that's civil, right? Um, and where you can uh, learn more uh, without somebody trying to point you one way or the other, yes. uh, but just lay it out to you on the table and then you make the call from there. Right. Um, but I, John, if you wanna share um, who the speakers are, because uh, I'm excited about who is coming and who is speaking. Yeah, so there'll they'll be community uh, groups that'll be there who'll be resources as okay. well. Also true. Um, and then, uh, so we'll have a series of speakers. There's gonna be a policy expert uh, who's gonna talk about the explanation of of the Safety Act, the Pretrial Fairness Act, and the statewide conversation that's going on. Uh, Martha Apachke from King County Pre-Arrest Division is going to talk about how the Pre-Arrest Division program and how it interacts with the new legislation. Uh, and then uh, King County's Chief Judge, uh, Clint Hull, and the Honorable uh, Julia Yetter uh, will uh, be doing a presentation uh, talking about processes and plans and what will change in January. And I think it's important to note that uh, Chief Judge uh, Hull has been part of the implementation team for the state uh, around the, the Safety Act and its implementation. Awesome. That is wonderful. Okay, um, so folks may be familiar with, uh, with Wesley United and St. Mark's Aurora, but what is Community Freedom? Can you explain the organization, please? Sure. So Community Freedom uh, is our, our initiative to plant churches inside of prison and jail. So we do programming with inmates inside of uh, local prisons and jails. So I work closely with Illinois Department of Corrections officials, uh, sheriff's departments, to create a culture of rehabilitation. Um, and so we, we look to not just go in there and, and talk at these guys or preach at them, but we wanna build community with them because we believe in community is a path for restoration. Once you identify, uh, like I, I mentioned earlier, I use a phrase, I believe in the potential of the human spirit. Mm -hmm. From the faith-based side, I would say every man is made in God's image and likeness. We believe in the Imago Dei. So that means no matter what they've done or haven't done, if we can tap into what their potential is, then we can begin to bring that alive and it begins to transform their heart and mind. And so that's what we look to do in the jails and prisons. And then we have a reentry component um, where we meet guys outside once they get released to help them transition back into society, get reacclimated. And then we connect them with resources to help them get all of the other things in their life put back together, housing and, you know, jobs and employment and all of those other things that are in, um, essential to their transition. Right. Uh, the time is 8.21 a.m. Uh, I'm curious, too, in some of the, you know, without uh, perhaps 
giving away any anyone's personal story how often do you guys meet with or speak with or get asked for help from people who have been impacted by the system does it happen often um, kind of thing well I know for me it's part of what I do so daily um, you know I'm in contact with families that have been impacted by incarceration uh, individuals post-incarceration people going into the system that have just gotten arrested so I've seen it all I've heard it all uh, and I've been doing this work for years that's why I'm particularly sensitive to the impacts of uh, our criminal justice system and some of the unintended impacts of it, I think. But some of the things that have been uh, systemically, uh, systemically have evolved from racist ideologies Mm -hmm. from the very beginning that has never been dealt with. It's just evolved or moved or shifted over time, but still been devastating to our communities. And we can dig into that a little bit more later, but um, but yeah, I'm in touch with people all the time that, that have been impacted by this. Yeah. I'll, I'll use uh, one gentleman that, I'm, uh, that I've been working with. And um, again, it, it's systemic, right? And so his whole life, he has been told he is a thing, you know, um, because he is a black man. And helping him see he is, he is that, um, but so much more than what the system wants to see him as. Right. Um, but how the system has... Uh, gone after him um, and, and, and he has a record and so therefore he is this and this and this uh, but helping him to, to rise out of that uh, and realize he is so much more than that but again if we don't invest in these individuals they just continue to perpetuate that narrative or believe it and, right. and so as, a, as faith communities how do we step in and say you are made in the image of God you aren't your worst day um, you aren't your worst choice um, but you are uh, the potential of the human spirit. Um, you are human because we all make mistakes. Right. It doesn't matter of color, uh, you know. And so, how do we uh, recognize the system um, and work to to speak to that, and also um, work alongside the individual um, who's been impacted or the the, the folks that have uh, to bring them out of that and into a new day. Yeah. Um, and there's organizations, Neighbor Project, in which Curtis, I know you're a part of. Uh, and so many others that are doing this, right? Uh, trying to bring people out of that generational, um, you know, poverty, um, create a new narrative. Um, But I see it even in jailing, right? Like people have lack of opportunity, addiction, mental health, right? If they're going into the jail, how do we invest in them? You know, which again, going into the jails, they think of themselves as, you know, what the system is telling them, Right. right? But how do we go in and say, you aren't that, uh, but let's let's tackle the thing that systemically puts you there, puts you in the river, yeah. so that you don't keep falling in the river. Um, yeah. But until communities of faith, until the system starts doing that, we're just going to continue to warehouse people, and it's the system just continues. I've always thought, and uh, you know, my words, not you guys, but I, I've always been of the impression, and I, this is kind of one of the things that Sheriff Hain and I talked about a couple months ago that like. You know, if 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 it were truly, if if American legal history it had the book right been applied fairly, mm-hmm. if if what it said on paper was actually what it came out to be, yeah, right. Uh, there'd always be an argument made against mass incarceration, but the whole thing wouldn't have been as big of a problem. As it has become, absolutely. I, I really believe it's 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 simply the 
because law has been applied so unfairly. Yes. On purpose. Yes. That's why. That's why we're here. I mean, you know what I'm saying? If if, if the book, if, if the paper matched up at the end, Absolutely. It wouldn't be that big of an issue. It would simply be something that needed to be changed because uh, incarceration is just dehumanizing. So, yes. and, so I, that, and I think you know, it's important to say, too, that you know, what we're dealing with right now is all this fear-mongering that's yes. going on. Right. And fear-mongering, man, has been around for as long as people have been around. Absolutely. And it has been connected to racism uh, and all of these efforts to... Um, to apply these laws differently. So, you know, part of <clears throat> someone said to me recently, like, you're never going to get rid of fear mongering. <laughs> and it's been so embedded in who we are. And I think what we're just trying to do is say, look, as people of faith, God says, fear not. You know, like, we need to stop being afraid. Right. And we need to sit down and figure out how to create a just society where everyone is created uh, equally and does uh, and and where everything is applied equally to everybody the same to everybody right and we're not there and we've got a long way to go yeah. uh, but we've we've really got to uh, be serious about this fear because it's just it, whenever someone's trying to keep someone down they just use it and, yeah, uh, and it's a problem and you know we hope that you know in some ways that what we're doing is trying to remind people to not be afraid and to not give in to those um, historic narratives of why we should be afraid. Absolutely, yeah, which is why, once again, that's why we're uh, pleased to have you guys on the show and talk about this kind of thing Mm -hmm. because I, um, you know, I, I do identify that there's going to be people who will make mistakes in society for the wrong reason. Yeah. Um, and there's many factors behind that, but we don't, as a community, have to fear a what we don't know and b what we're being told by people who also don't know. I mean, yeah. you, you know, it's some of the things that I've read. On January first, they're going to unlock Cook County, mm-hmm. give yeah. them all a bus pass, mm-hmm. and send them to yeah. Skokie. Like that's yeah. just not <laughs> that's violent, just not gonna felons are coming to your town. You yes, know, yes, that's just not true. And I think you know last night's program, you were, they were talking about how we need to shift the system to rehabilitation. Right. We need to shift the system so that it's actually resourcing people to address the underlying issues that are going on. And right now, what we're doing is we're just incarcerating people forever uh, with no real means of change right and uh, and the safety act and the pretrial fairness act deal directly with that issue of how do we help people get out of the problems that they're facing or um, you know address people making mistakes you know and uh, just under pressure uh, making a choice that they ultimately come to regret and so how do we give them a second chance and help them really you know thrive in their lives right can we can I drill down on that a little bit absolutely please do so you talked about the, the narrative of public safety. We have a false narrative of public safety that there are bad people, and I guess there are good people, and we need to lock the bad people away, right. and then we'll, the good people will be safe. That is such a fallacy, mm-hmm. because what we're really talking about when we're dealing with public safety is you have to include the concept of rehabilitation, because what most people don't understand, because they don't see people, they see stats and figures, and they see the, the titles of what crimes were committed. Right. But trauma, and you talked about PTSD, you did a show about PTSD. 
Poverty leads to PTSD. Mm, it yeah. leads to trauma. Mm -hmm. uh, children who are raised in poverty have higher ACE scores. You know, these adverse childhood experiences right. that impact how their brain is wired, how they're functioning, their decision making, and typically that will lead to criminal thinking and criminal behavior. Right. And so we need to move from asking what's wrong with people to you know, what happened to them. Right. And our systems and structures should be designed to address what happened to people because mental health issues, trauma issues, uh, substance abuse issues are real issues that people are, are dealing with. And those are majority of the driving factors to criminal behavior. Right. And so instead of coming on the back end and saying, let's hammer people yep. for their behavior, Let's create systems to heal people. Mm. And that's going to be the best, most effective way to keep our community safe. Because most of these men, whether we like it or not, men and women, they're getting out. They're going to be right. released back into our communities. So what are we doing to heal the human soul and to give opportunity to see them as people so that our, our communities can be safer? Because if you're leaving people who are traumatized in a, in a, in a cage, you're re-traumatizing okay. and you're re-aggravating, you're dehumanizing them, and then you release them to the public expecting them now to act normal. That's that's ridiculous, it's counterintuitive. Right. And so we have the responsibility to speak up, to say let's address these systemic issues because they're not effective in, in accommodating or accomplishing the goals that they were meant to accomplish. So let's fix this stuff. So. That's kind of the perspective I have on the mm -hmm. public safety narrative. We need to be more involved in healing and rehabilitating people. That was way better than what I said. <laughs> <laughs> teamwork. Teamwork. Yeah, the, the, the state's attorney and the sheriff last night gave me two interesting points. I think uh, the sheriff said 90% of people incarcerated are getting out within five years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so they, they, they will be they will be right. returning. Right. And also it's 23 thousand dollars I believe to house an inmate mm -hmm. um, yeah. twenty three thousand dollars to house a guy who's self-medicating right. yes right I mean this is just it, this it's There's not a better way they're, they're, exactly There's it is a, a better way it is a better way <clears throat> um, so the time is 831 I wanted to um, just interject real quick with that quick piece of news that I had but I want to also remind people that on Sunday the 21st uh, from 2 to 5 p.m., once again, the Kane County Pre-Trial Fairness Town Hall. This is a free event open to the public. It'll be held at Society 57, 100 South River Street, right across the street from the Aurora Public Library, and also down the street from McCarty Mills. And I want to say good morning to Dora Sanchez Soto. Thank you for tuning in, friend. Victoria Hallamaldonado. Uh, good to see you guys. Okay, real quick, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Aurora City Council set to vote on downtown apartment plans next week. I'm going to go through this briefly. It's 832. Uh, City Council is set to vote for a new seven-story apartment building on the west side of the Fox River downtown. Alderman meet as the Committee of the Whole uh, this week, excuse me, and move those plans for the seven-story, 190-unit Pacifica Riverview complex between the river and North River Street next to Wilder Park. So you can picture the um, it's the Hollywood Casino parking lot back there, going from Penny Street, which is the alley kind of behind Gillerson's, all the way to where the hill starts right across from Wilder Park. Um, big piece of land there. The article continues. Uh, the preliminary plan and conditional use were put on the consent agenda, meaning they are likely to be approved. The 2.34 acre development would have studio, one bedroom, two bedroom and three bedroom apartments, 
as well as 10 row houses directly along the riverfront. The two-story row houses would feature terraces on their rooftops, and the development would also have a communal rooftop terrace for the entire complex on its third floor. The development would also have about 2,000 square feet of retail on its first floor, a party room, and a workout center. The developer is the Windfall Group, which also is developing the Pacifica Square Shopping Center on the far east side of Aurora. Now, I know what you are thinking. Curtis, affordable housing? Well, stay tuned. We don't, none of that sounds affordable housing. Uh, not in our traditional thought process, but we will report back accordingly. You know that we are dedicated to getting you that news. Uh, the time is 8.34 a.m. Annie Fish says, Sunday is the 23rd, not the 21st. Just don't want to get people to get confused. Oh, is that a typo on the thing? I think today was, yeah. Yeah, it is the 23rd. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So if I mess that up, I apologize. We got a button for that. Hold on, watch this. I think there's two dates on there. Scratch it up. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a day, there's two dates on there. Today's date for the interview and then Sunday's oh, date yeah. for the awesome. okay. for, yeah. for the town hall. Sunday's yeah. the town hall. Sunday to the 23rd at, at 2 o'clock. See? Our listeners. See, that's why we love our listeners. Right. Thank you very much that's for awesome. helping right. us out. Uh, Nora Peterson, thank you very much. Hope everyone has a safe and happy weekend coming up. Thank you. Thank you. And David Lloyd, good points. Poverty is the main reason for criminal behavior, something we can solve with a better social safety net. Like that. Um, okay. So um, what do we, what do you guys, just an opinion based question, what do you guys anticipate happening on the first? How do you, how, how do we, how do we see life? I, you know, I, I'm, I'm just thinking it'll kind of be a trickle of things. I know there's probably going to be some probably negative stories and more disinformation will probably come about to, you know, it's happened now, look, all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. but, but what do you guys anticipate locally and what are you guys preparing for come the first? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important going back to the legislation itself is that you know what's going to happen on January first is that someone's going to be a you know someone's going to be pulled over uh, or uh, a police officer is going to show up, and instead of being immediately arrested and being thrown into a cage, they're going to have uh, 48 hours to come to court, and during that 48 hours they're going to get to actually meet with a public defender or an attorney. And they're going to be able to find out what kind of services and things are available to them to help them uh, with whatever they're dealing with. Right. And then they'll go before a judge, uh, and then it'll go from there. And maybe they'll go through in Kane County through the pretrial uh, diversion, uh, pre pre arrest diversion, yeah, yeah arrest yeah. pre arrest diversion program. Um, <laughs> but I just think it's important to highlight that th that what this is doing is it's creating a more just and fair process yep. for people. Right. Uh, so what happens now is that if you're uh, arrested, you're thrown into a cage, you show up in the morning, and I've done court watching. I mean, we've done court watching here in Kane and DuPage County uh, and seen what happens to people. And eight o'clock in the morning, they've got an hour because the courtroom needs to be used for something else. So you've right. got to process all of these people within an hour. So little time, if any, is ever spent on really trying to understand what's going on, what's happened. Um, I mean, I've been in the courtroom and watched where people are confused. Uh, public defenders, uh, state's attorney's office, or 
the DA are, are the uh, are confused about uh, even who the person is right. and what their criminal record is uh, and what's actually been going on. And uh, so it's a scramble and it's not a fair process right now. And then uh, the whole conversation is around how much can you afford? Right. You know, to get out, which that's, I mean, uh, that's, it's crazy that we're asking people what their job is, how much money they make, who they're responsible to, uh, in order to figure out if we can charge them money yeah. to get out. And so what this, what this does is it eliminates all of that. So we're going to have people who aren't going to lose their jobs. We're going to be able to be home with their families and help their kids out, help take care of a parent. Uh, and they're going to be able to go see doctors and get the help that they need and not be sitting in a prison cell for a week, uh, a month, five years, whatever. Uh, I mean, so that's the that's the biggest benefit. And I think for us, the hope is that people are going to be able to, to you know, continue their lives. They're not going to be so disruptive that they end up coming and seeking help and resources that the state is uh, causing them to need and not helping them with. Causing them to need, yeah. Causing mm. them to need, mm. absolutely. Because if you, if you are, if you are, you struggle from substance abuse. There's people who are struggling from substance abuse and end work. Mm -hmm. If you get arrested or you are incarcerated, you know, you spend the night in jail. If you lose your job, right, you are more likely to continue or increase your self medication. A guy lost his job, he's self-medicating, does he really have, what, $3,000? Right. I mean, what is the, right. you know, it's, right. it's right. in a way, now I feel, which is going to lead to my next question, though, um, I, I feel two ways. Again, my word is not yours. I feel two ways. I, I feel somewhat, I'm not a cynic, I'm more of an optimist, but I feel like, Wow, we're just now making, you know, like, yeah. isn't it kind of, well, I don't even have the word. It's almost like mentally insulting to think that, like, we're seeing things now. Yeah. Now the data shows, yeah. you know, and, and, and it's really, that's why I just, again, I just use my voice to help what's good because there's enough morass to get into about why this and why mm -hmm. that, you know, it's, it, we need to be thinking forward, but... Um, the question I was going to get to is, um, uh, do you think or do you feel that these changes only came about due to the uh, the murder of George Floyd? Had that not happened, do you think we would have seen this kind of uh, push? The discussions about the Safety Act were going on way before that. That's mm -hmm. 16, right. Exactly. So that's that's in there as well. But what do you guys think about that? I, well, I would say it was definitely a catalyst. Uh, I think there was a lot of, there definitely was a lot of conversation going on around mm -hmm. that even prior to, because going back to when uh, Trayvon Martin yep. got killed, it kind of reignited uh, conversations around criminal justice reform yep. and legal reform. Uh, it brought to the table a lot of the uh, fear mongering that's going on that really shapes our policy and keeps it in place because most people don't understand the intricacies of our criminal justice system. Right. So they're they're kind of made to obey on fear, and that that fear kind of goes all the way back to um, you know post slavery to where we have to protect our our people from those people. Right. And you know uh, 
those criminal uh, elements so that formed our criminal justice system, like, for example, um, before slavery ended, our criminal justice system was made up of about 30,000-ish or so mm-hmm. poor white immigrants. About 95% were poor white immigrants, right. mainly Irish. Uh, post-slavery, our, our prison population quadrupled from ni- 1865 to 1910, and it went from 90 to 95% poor white immigrants to 90 to 95% black former slaves. Mm-hmm. And that's because of how the laws evolved post-slavery to include black codes, and so blacks were being arrested for minor things like vagrancy and other things like that. Um, so those things, that's where our criminal justice system started, and those laws were put in place because of fear. Right. And so those things have evolved from generation to generation to Jim Crow. We got to keep them over there because if they come in our community, things are going to go crazy. And we still see the, the remnants of that today, and it's still being used as a political tactics to keep people voting a certain way. Yeah. And so I just encourage people to come to the table, learn your neighbor, get mm-hmm. to know each other across yeah. social economic lines, right. and you'll see that people are people. We're yeah. all the same. We want the same thing. And once that's normalized, we can no longer make decisions behind fear-based narratives. Let's make decisions on what's best for our entire community, all people. And that's kind of you know my thoughts on it. Yeah, and I, I would just add, I mean, I can't add a lot to that, but I, I would just add that in 1969 was the Civil Rights Act was passed. This is the year I was born. Yeah. People who were born in 1969 were the first, particularly in the African-American community, the black community was the first year that people were born free. Yeah. Truly in this right. country, 1969. Right. Yeah. And then what we saw is a continuation of all of the policies uh, that Eric was just talking about were then uh, carried out in the late 70s and early 80s. And so we've had this uh, this tilt and bent towards perpetuating, continuing this this effort. Um, and so I think we're you know coming out of another. Uh, it's almost like another reconstruction period where we're like yeah. this this has been terrible, and it's not. Uh, it's been the same old, same old, and that we are trying once again to get it right. Uh, yeah. the, what we didn't get right after the Civil War, uh, we are trying to get right now. It's just, uh, you're right, it's amazing that we're, we're here in mm-hmm. 2022, still still amazing. talking about this, still trying to fix this, yeah, and okay. it's time, time to do it. It's like the only thing that has not progressed in American society is laws and their legal, you know, the, the legality. It's, there is a, um, and I'm, I'm thinking, uh, point at Pastor Bishop, uh, so there is a, our executive director showed us a map of Aurora, and you can do this in any city. The website escapes me. I, I will endeavor to get you guys that website and post it one of these days. But anyway, um, you can see in the town that you live in, it's historic demography and efforts that were made to keep people in those places. Like in, like for in Aurora, for example, I live on the east side now. Um, and I won't use any of the terms that they use for these neighborhoods. My goodness gracious, um, Romania town, you know, like invisible fences. Exactly. Yeah. And now that I work in housing, and I mm. I meet people, and I I mentioned this to the gentleman last night, Nathan Lantham from Lighthouse Recovery. Um, I meet people, and. And many times their story does include having been incarcerated Mm -hmm. 
or whatever the case may be, and they're trying to put their lives back together, right. do they qualify for a house? Right. How can I get an apartment? We are not able to help those people mm -hmm. simply because of how our organization operates. Mm -hmm. And I have not been able to have someone who can help them. And I told the judge, we exchanged cards of information. I told him, like, I need somebody to help me with this small portion of people. It's not very many, mm -hmm. but I don't like, I don't like telling a guy that I cannot help you. Yeah, right. I can't help you. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, hey, my brother, uh, you know, he's 28. He just did four years for drug possession trying to get his life back together and he, you know, he's sleeping on my couch with my sister. What can you guys do for him? Mm -hmm. There is nothing that we can, unfortunately, he does not, mm -hmm. we, he, he does not check the boxes for the metrics that we require. Okay. And it's, you know, it's emotionally draining. Yeah. I want to help these people. So I'm, I, I say all that to say that what you guys are doing is a, and everything that we're talking about is a big wheel. It's a yeah. big part of everything yes. to hopefully make a better so, society with better people. So this is why I think people of faith need to be interested in policy decisions. Right. Amen. Because poverty is a policy decision. Yes. Right. People are poor because of the policies that we have. Yes. Redlining was a policy decision. Right. And so we as people of faith, if we really want to solve these problems, these social problems, if we want to see people thrive, live out their full potential to, to follow the calling that you know, God gives us to, to in our lives to be a part of this community that we, we are part of, then we have to address these policy issues. And I think for a lot of people in of faith, you know, it, it, it sounds like you're getting into politics, but we all make agreements about how we're going to live together. You know, sure. we all sign social contracts that we all agree to. And poverty is a policy decision. It's a social contract. And what we're saying is, is that there are problems. And we need to change those policies. And I, I think people understand that. They, I think they get nervous about it as a person of faith because they don't want to get into political debates about things, which I right. totally understand. And we don't want to either. Uh, but what we do want to do is make sure that the policies that are in place give people the best shot that they can have to live their full life. Right. That's right. Yeah, very well said. Sir. Well, very true. well said. And that's nonpartisan, right? right. Like it's that, nonpartisan. And that's what I think. Yeah. I think some people don't want to enter into the arena because they think it's partisan. It's not. Right. Serving the neighbor is not partisan. Yeah. Right. Like that is people. Going back to what you had said. I mean, if we care about people, if we care about community, yeah. um, poverty, like we want to eradicate these things. I mean, we have to go to the source, right? And that's, right. that's the policy. And just one last piece. So uh, during the pandemic, the government gave out checks to everybody. Yeah. And uh, the result of that is that we had the lowest childhood poverty rate ever, ever in the history of this country. And now it's going back up. So again, the, the reason that people are in poverty is because of these policy choices that we make, and right. how we spend money and where money goes and how we support or don't support people. Um, and so we can eliminate uh, our crime rates. We can eliminate the number of people that are going into prisons. We can eliminate all these things, but we've got to, be willing to make these decisions, these choices. Yeah. Right. Um, there is a point that I wanted to share as well. It's about what we're talking about, pre-trial fairness. Um, a, a judge will, when January 1st comes, in every case, just like as happens now, mm -hmm. a judge will continue to have sole discretion on what happens. No matter your crime, the judge will deem your 
risk to society mm-hmm. and everything like that. So, so judges retain discretion yeah. in everything that's going on. And I think that's been a big, big additional key of the disinformation. Yes. Be- and, and, and it's, it's just... The judges will have no say as such a... Uh, Could you imagine a guy committing a murder, going in front of a judge, saying, you know, I, hey... Yeah, can't do anything. I can't about do anything it. about yeah. it. Can't lock yeah, them up. I mean, that's just yeah. foolish. Oh. Foolish. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's mis- That's the misinformation that people are are getting better alarm systems because right. the judges aren't going to be able to do anything. Right. Police yeah. officers aren't going to be able to do anything. That that is all a farce. Right. I mean, it's just one hundred percent. That's what it is. Um, yeah. The pre-trial fairness town hall will be Sunday the twenty third. What are our plans after that to continue the work going on or discussions in the community? Well, I do want to say that after that, on November the 5th, I have mm-hmm. an event. It's purely an educational event. This is not a political event um, on the impacts of mass incarceration okay. and the school-to-prison pipeline. That's going to be on November the 5th here in Aurora at 78 uh, South Lincoln. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, South LaSalle Street, 78 South LaSalle Street at Community Christian Church in Aurora. Right next and, to a live Ting Center. Yes. 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 Friends yeah. of, of ours. One okay. of our partners as well. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And so we're going to be, uh, it's an event where we're going to be uh, providing resources for men and women post-incarceration, families been in, that have been impacted by incarceration, and having the discussion to, to provide information around mass incarceration. And the Pretrial Fairness Act is huge to that because 74% of people in jails across this nation have not been convicted of a crime. Right. And so that's a huge slice of what we call this mass incarceration of America, we're the most carceral nation in the history of the world, mm. despite having uh, being in the bottom 25% of crime rate in the world. And so that, that that's a disproportionate stat that we've got to address and got to fix. So we're going to be talking about that on November the 5th. Um, you can register at communitychristian.org under events, and you'll see um, the Community Freedom Give Hope uh, Reentry Summit, and you can register there, or you can just show up and register on site. Community Freedom Gift Hope. Give hope. Give, Give hope. hope. Yep. Okay. And it starts at 10 a.m. All right. All right. November 5th. Yep. Saturday. Saturday, yep. November Saturday. 5th. Okay. Good stuff. Ladies you get and to see us again. Here. So there you go. See, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the, uh, the mentality is we don't want to be a moment. We want to be a movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so while this is important that we're doing this town hall, um, we want to continue to urge um, public officials that we want to be at the table. Not to argue politics, uh, but to make sure that our people are being represented, right. uh, especially the least of these marginalized uh, um, in our pews as well as in our community. Um, and so we'll continue to sit at the table with, um, you know, the various people that this that want to be a part of this conversation with us, right? Okay. Um, and so that that doesn't end um, come the twenty third. Um, so in addition to kind of putting our uh, investment in the folks that are in there, right, um, through your reentry program, uh, it's also talking to stakeholders and policymakers um, and just saying um, we're going to be a part of those discussions going forward um, as if they want to work out some of the nuances, um, that's fine. Let's do that uh, at the table uh, with the idea that we're implementing it for racial equality. That's right. That's right. Um, because... Hey man, could you just when it works good, it's supposed to work beautiful. It's supposed to work together. It's that right. that's how it's supposed to be. Right. We could we could the the kind of society we want is is possible. 
Uh, the time is 8.53. How can we, the community, help you guys? How can we help you? Yeah, so first of all, come to the town hall on Sunday. That's okay. the biggest step. Come and get information about uh, what's going on. Hear what the conversation is going on at the state level, what people are talking about. I think that's, and what the implementation is going to look like. That's, that's huge. Um, and then I think to be engaged in talking with your representatives about, you know, where they are on this issue, what they're thinking about. Uh, there's uh, potential for a trailer bill coming out where there might be some significant changes made to what's already been passed that's supposed to be implemented in January. So to get educated about what that is and to be talking about legislative leaders about what they're planning to do right. uh, and, to, and to ask them uh, where they stand on these issues, where they stand on the Pretrial Fairness Act. Um, and to be clear about that, I think one of the things we need to be concerned about is that you know there's been a, a very much this misinformation campaign and behind that is a driver to put more power into the hands of state's attorneys and judges, mm -hmm. uh, which we've already talked about has historically just been a problem. There are no guidelines for mm -hmm. judges during, I mean, there are, uh, there are bond guidelines, but right. you know, in terms of whether or not somebody gets detained uh, or not, there's not a lot of guidelines there. And judges are making decisions and they're different depending on the day maybe mm -hmm. or who's there because they rotate sometimes those, uh, those courtrooms. Um, and what the Pretrial Fairness Act does is gives very clear guidelines about what's supposed to happen and, and how that's going to happen. And there's a concern that uh, instead of a presumption of innocence, right, where you're presumed innocent uh, until proven guilty, that it's moving, there's an effort to move it towards a presumption of detention, right. that everyone should just be detained. And that's problematic. I mean, that goes against everything that we believe. Yeah, correct. Um, and so I think, you know, we need to be uh, paying attention to what's going on and uh, what the legislator, legislators are working on. Um, to those people of faith, because you know, at the end of the day, then as faith communities, we end up having to deal with all of the fallout from these bad policy decisions, mm -hmm. and so we just want people to be ahead of this and to be actively engaged in it. That's, I mean, that's what I would. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, the time is eight fifty-five. Um, Katrina Bow put in the put the link for registration for the November fifth event. Thank you very much for that. That was right on time. Appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, Mr. Jackson says, instead of spending $23,000 annually to incarcerate someone, can you imagine what we could do in terms of housing, uh, supportive services, and community building, and ending poverty with that funding? Our system and mindset around poverty is so incredibly backwards. Thank you all today for your passion and efforts. Much appreciated. So yeah, that would yeah. be... Yeah. Yeah. That would be... That would be... Uh, and that's the idea, right? Like we're investing just, it's not, you know, again, everyone's like, oh, it's going to make us less safe. It's, you know, going to put up impact. Actually, it's going to make us more safe and we can reinvest these dollars uh, in ways that, that will make everything better. Because right, the way it's going right now, it's just the same thing. Yeah. Um, and this, this will, again, again, change is hard. Anytime you talk about restorative justice, there's always opposition and resistance. Um, but this is going to make us safer. This is going to make people healed. This is going to help the taxpayer, those that just care about economics. I mean, and there's so many ways um, this is going to move us forward, yeah. as you had said. And if you think that come January, think about, and this is where I've, I've been paused on it for many days. If January 1st coming up is going to make us less safe, we really feel safe now? Right. Like, I mean, what? Mm -hmm. what, what 
Yeah. How safe are you now if it's all going to disappear in a few months? Like yeah. what? Crime has spread despite the draconian prison sentences, despite the war on drugs, despite drones and all that. Crime has spread to places where it never was. I mean, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's so counterintuitive was the word that you use, I think, and that's, that's, that's perfect. It's very counterintuitive, I'm sorry. And, and to your question about what to do, I mean, these two do amazing work as faith leaders in the prison system. And I would say that the, to uh, pay attention to what they're doing. But also, if you're a part of a faith community, ask your faith leader what they're doing. You know, what can your uh, faith community be doing? What can your congregation be doing to be more involved with this? Right. Uh, both in sort of the resourcing and helping, but also in taking leadership and making these changes. You know, if you're in a if you're in a congregation and uh, you're not really talking about this or uh, paying attention to this, you know, find ways to grab some resources, get people together, have some conversation about it, meet with your pastor, your imam, your uh, rabbi, your faith leader, and, you know, have a conversation about this and figure out ways to be more involved. Awesome. All right. Uh, time is 8.58. Cindy Morales, good morning to you. Glory Gerardo, good morning. Um, the show ends on a positive note. What is the message today from you gentlemen uh, going into the weekend for the people of Aurora? Come to the pre-trial fairness. <laughs> <laughs> Come to that town hall. I, man. I think that I, my hope is is that people see that there's hope. I, you know, really, um, that there are people that want to be at this table, and we're not alone on that. Um, and to do this work by yourself is hard and it's frustrating. Uh, but there are people that want to gather together uh, to tackle these issues systemically. Um, and so you are not alone. Uh, and and um, I, I don't want people to feel like they're they're stuck or they're paralyzed. They can't do anything. Um, we do have power uh, as individuals and as citizens and as voters, um, and 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 as as people of faith. Um, and so I, I hope that people come to the town hall, get connected, become a network, become a part of the movement uh, forward. Wonderful. And I would say becoming a part of the movement could be beginning just entering the conversations with you know people that that are outside of your cultural comfort zones, uh, people you normally wouldn't associate with coming out of your echo chamber, as I like to say, um, mm -hmm. and just getting to know one another. So much of this, the reason why these fear-based fear narratives take root is because there's a gap between us and our neighbor. Right. And so once we can close that gap and see people as people and see the humanity and the potential of people and see the real issues of our society, then we can stop hiding behind these these uh, policies that are just driven in fear and, and they tap into our fear, that's when we can affect real change. And so I would say start there and connect with organizations, entities that, that are out in your community that are engaging in these conversations and be a part of it. So that would be my encouragement to anyone listening. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I would add at another level, I mean, I agree with all of that, that uh, there are a lot of good leaders in Aurora who are trying to make changes Amen. for yep. the better. Mm -hmm. And this town hall would be a great opportunity to meet and greet each other and to see each other and to be together. Uh, and then to get out of our silos and to start working more collaboratively together on solving some of these problems. And I think we're we're all for that. Uh, we want to really encourage others. I want to encourage others to really be more involved with that effort too, because I think we could really solve and make all these changes that we really all hope to see by coming together and working together. So very well said. All right, the time is nine o'clock a.m. See? We landed the plane, man. Yeah. We landed it. Well done, Curtis. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, Curtis, so much. No that. problem. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, uh, good morning, Aurora. Glad to 
lend our voice to your efforts. We're all friends, so you know, please stay in touch. You have our email, so anytime there's a part two or a continuation, just sure. let us know. And Emily says, people who feel ostracized by a community would rather watch it burn than to fit into it. We need to help everyone. Mm. I love that. Yeah. David Lloyd, love you guys. Thanks for showing up today. Much appreciated, man. Much appreciated. Ladies and gentlemen, have a blessed weekend. Please come to the Pre-Trial Fairness Act Town Hall um, this Sunday, Society 57, 2 to 5 p.m. Uh, and have a blessed and motivated weekend. We will see you Monday. Take care of yourself and each other.